Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. Good morning. Can we get some lights on in this place? I just want to see all of your faces, you know. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? Amen. We're live. We're live this morning. It is good to be with you. How many of you guys were blessed by that time of worship? You know, there was a time where the presence of God wasn't available to people, and it killed them when they got there. That, like, those moments of engaging with God in the presence of the Lord are so special. And I believe what God is doing is he's building a church and making us aware of the sacredness of his presence. It is a great, great joy to be with you and to be in the presence of Jesus this morning. He is his presence. When we talk about the presence of God, we're talking about him, which means we host a king this morning. He's here with us. And if you're born again, he lives inside of you which makes you the temple of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys have been blessed by this series? It's been a good series. It's been a good series. We've been talking about the paradox of the kingdom of God. And we've been going through some of the teachings of Jesus and his disciples and talking about when we hear them with the natural ear, how they seem to contradict the nature of reality. But upon entering into the kingdom, these things are actually very true. And so I get to preach on another one this morning. I get to preach on the paradox of freedom. Yes. As I have grown in God, I have realized that the depth the level of depth in which I am able to go is directly connected to the level of which I am willing to surrender. And I believe that this invitation this morning for every single one of us is to go deeper in God. If you don't know God this morning, the invitation is to go deeper in God. If you've been walking with God for 40 years, the invitation this morning is to go deeper with God. This is the paradox of freedom. In the world, freedom leads you into slavery. But in the kingdom, becoming a slave makes you free. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Romans chapter 6. Now, 
I don't, if you guys have heard me preach before, I, I, I usually like to like stick to a very small portion of scripture. Um, this morning, I'm gonna read a lot of scripture. And the reason is because when we read the Bible, we're reading a letter that was written to a group of people, right? How many know the, the Apostle Paul did not write the book of Romans to Oasis Church Chicago? It'd be epic, but he didn't. And so when we approach the text, we have to approach it the way that it was written and interpret it through the audience that it was written to. So I, I completely forgot like where I was going with that. Just being honest, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, when you right, when you're following a theme, and when a writer chooses to write about a theme, you have to allow the writer to set the agenda. I can't just cherry pick and go, all right, I'm gonna take like that portion, right? Because I have to allow him to develop his thought. So that's why I'm reading a lot of scripture this morning. That was, what, that was the point. That's what I was trying to say. All right. Romans chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, there are conditional statements in the Bible that really matter. This is one of them. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly, everybody say certainly, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you, were, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. That was a lot. Thank you. Wow. Let's pray. Lord, we together in this room, we thank you for the body and blood of Jesus that washes, cleanses, purifies, justifies, sanctifies, and brings us into connection with you. Right now, Lord, we just continue to give you our allegiance, our attention. God, we ask right now that you would strengthen us by your word, that you would give us clarity in the scriptures, that you would teach us how to grow in freedom. As we worship you in your word, God, would you come and would you minister here? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. In a room this size and this diverse, when I say freedom, it may spark a number of different thoughts, definitions, or pictures inside of your mind. Do we have anybody visiting from outside the country? Yes. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Apart from, oh, well, you grew up here, so that doesn't really, uh, doesn't apply. Oh, that's the worst. You didn't, okay, okay, so, okay, what I'm saying is for the majority of us that grew up in this country, we were taught from a very young age to pursue freedom as a virtue among virtues. Come on, say it with me. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know. Come on. Growing up as a boy in the public school system, I actually pledged my allegiance to this republic. One nation under God, indivisible, with injustice for all. Now, regardless of whether or not you think America is a free place, regardless of, uh, of whether or not you think we've gone about pursuing freedom in the wrong ways, that's not the point that I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to say is that this idea has been instilled in us. And so when we think about freedom, we all have different ideas of what that may be. When we think about freedom from a cultural standpoint... All we need to do is look at the world and we're left with a lot of question marks about whether people are really free. All you need to do is walk around your neighborhood or go on social media or go to work. All you need to do is research the alcohol consumption, the levels of alcohol consumption 
drug addiction, gambling addiction, the pornographic and erotic media consumption, the food addiction, the coffee addiction. And that's just the external. That's just the external stuff. Not to mention the amount of people that live every single day enslaved in their own mind, just trying to make it through the day. You can't see that physically, but it's, it's, it's there. And what I wanna st- how I wanna start today is by offering the suggestion that part of the reason that you and I may struggle to come into the type of freedom that God would like to offer us is that we are trying to achieve a different freedom altogether. You and I, I'm arguing this morning, have been trained to pursue a freedom that is hollow and lacks the substantive power to truly set us free. This is what I'm saying to you this morning. It's hard to pursue freedom that God wants to offer when we're not pursuing the correct type of freedom, when God has a different definition of what freedom is. And so the best way that I can illustrate this is how I respond when I get sick. So for those of you who don't know this, which is probably all of you, when I get sick, I like to eat junk food. When I'm sitting on the couch and I want to go to heaven because it hurts so bad, I am freezing yet simultaneously sweating and my head is pounding. What pops into my mind? Cheeseburgers. McDonald's. Don't, don't, don't even start. McDonald's. Coffee. And you know, the next thing you know, you're dehydrated and you feel worse than you had after the two days that you were you know, resting to recover. Um, and I feel like this is, this is us when it comes to freedom in God. How many, right? Any functioning, knowledgeable adult knows that when you are sick, you need vegetables, you need nutrients, you need resources in your body to help fight the virus or the disease or whatever's inside of you and bring you back into equilibrium, correct? But we often think that freedom is the ability to have the cheeseburger. When in reality, freedom is the desire to want the nutritious soup and then the grace and power to go get that soup and eat it. What I'm saying is we need to define freedom as God defines freedom. And so that's the first task today. As we journey through our text we are going to ask and answer four questions. First, what does it mean to be bound? Second, what does it mean to be free? Three, how does a person get free? And fourth, how does a person grow in that freedom? Now, before we ask and answer these four questions, I want to go on a brief tangent about what the Bible teaches about how we exist as human beings. Now, If you have ever seen me teach in like a smaller setting, you know that I really enjoy visuals. I like pointing to the screen and being like, see, 
Uh, it helps. I don't know why. So I've actually asked our wonderful team to have a visual up here that's going to help talk as, as we talk through this idea of how we're constructed as human beings, okay? Because if we don't understand how we work, we'll never be able to understand how we are broken. And if we don't understand how we're broken, we don't know what God actually wants to do to change us. How many of you know God is in the business of changing people? God doesn't just want to give us tickets into heaven. He wants to transform our lives. He wants to make us new creations. He wants to put the Holy Spirit inside of us and make us temples of the living, of, of the living God, priests that serve unto God. Okay. The Bible teaches that you and I are composed of three main elements our heart, our mind, and our body, okay? The heart is the central part of our life. This is responsible for organizing and directing our experience and existence with God. This is, in other words, the place we live from. This is why Jesus says that all issues flow from the heart. An example of this in his teaching is when he says that it's not what you put inside of you that defiles you, but it's what's already inside of you that's defiled. Or Mark 3, chapter, or Mark chapter 3, verse 5, moments where, where Jesus is teaching and he understands the thoughts and the intentions of those he's speaking to. And what does he say? He was grieved by the hardness of their heart. This is the place where you and I house the presence of God, where we were created to connect with the presence of God. The second place is our mind. And our mind is what enables us to reach beyond the immediate context of our moment. Okay, so this is what brings divine revelation into our existence. This is how we interpret the word of God. And lastly, you have your body, the primary place of presence in the world. This is where you, um, this, this is where you get to make real and live out your existence in the earth, your body. Now, we're, we're, we, we do all of this in the context of social dimensions, and all of that is what makes us a soul, okay? People matter because they're a soul. We need to, we need to re-catch the weight of, 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 of people. They're, right? Regardless of what the world tells us, we are not just brains on sticks. We're made in the image of God. We have immense value. And this, right, the ability to house the presence of God inside of us is what gives us that sacred weight as image bearers of God, okay? So I just wanna, I just want, and the reason that I bring this up is that God's design was that all three of these things function in unison together. But what we see in the garden was that when sin enters the picture, there is disunity in these areas. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day of, 
for, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What happens when sin enters the picture is that this area dies. Simply put, being bound is having a heart that is dead to the things of God. Being disconnected from the presence of God. Bondage is the fruit of that sin. This is the consequence of sin, and we see this in the garden, right? They did not physically die. Their heart's ability to engage with God was twisted, distorted. And so there's a connection here, right, between spiritual death and disconnectedness from the presence of God. I'm going somewhere here. Please don't, please don't lose me. There's a connection between spiritual um, death and the disconnectedness from the presence of God, right? What happens the moment that they do that? They leave the place of his presence. Why does any of this matter? We need to see the connection between bondage and spiritual death. We need to redefine what bondage, slavery, actually is. And this helps to frame our discussion. Um, if bondage is being separated from the presence of God, then the question of being free has nothing to do with theological knowledge, but with relational intimacy. John Mark, you have a birthday coming up. Here I am publicly inviting myself. If you were to write me a letter and say, Nick, I, John Mark Ridings, formally request your presence at my birthday party. Do you think he's requesting the idea of me? Do you think he's requesting the, the thought of me showing up? The ethereal presence of Nick? No, he's not asking for that. He's asking for me to show up and be there. What brings us into freedom is proximity to a person. So then we ask, who's bound? What should grip us this morning is that anyone that's not connected to the presence of God is bound because they were, they were created to live connected to him. Are you guys seeing that connection? You're created to connect with the presence of God. Anyone who is not under the direction of the Holy Spirit is under a different spirit. As, as, as the, the great revivalist, Leonard Ravenhill, once said, there's two types of people in the world, people that are dead in sin and people that are dead to sin. I'd like to suggest to us this morning that there's two, two types of people in this world, people that are slaves to sin and people that are slaves to God. This bondage, according to the Bible, manifests in two basic ways. 
Ready? Bondage to the flesh and bondage in religion. So we're just gonna talk about them briefly, okay? Bondage to the flesh is being held captive by the desires of your body and your mind that pull and direct you. It relinquishes the ordering of your life in the presence of God to those secondary and tertiary areas. This is exemplified in our culture. This is the freedom that makes you a slave. This is the culture that celebrates the free expression and pursuit of satisfying desire, yet does not have within it the capacity to give an answer for when it goes too far. Let me give you a couple examples. Drink as much as you want, just don't let it affect your responsibilities. Sleep with whoever you want. Just make sure you communicate. Don't get hurt and don't hurt the other person. Think however you want insofar as it brings you happiness and does not discriminate against others. This sounds compelling until the desire for the drink becomes too strong and I can no longer function, work, or sleep without it. Or until sleeping with whoever you want has left you so empty and shameful inside that the only thing to lift you out of that dark and desperate place is just one more time. Or until your thinking takes you to a place where you now see people as the enemy and you live from anger, fear, or judgment and you hurt those closest to you, the ones that love you. This is, this is how the Bible describes it. And this is, guys, listen, I'm not saying like the end times are here. I'm just saying like, this is eerie. But understand this, that in the last days, how many know we're living in the last days? It's been the last days. We're here. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture vulnerable people burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. This is the kicker. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. If there is a prophetic, whew, there is a prophetic word over our culture right now that can clearly diagnose, it is always learning yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is bondage to the flesh. Bondage to, re to religion was present in Jesus' day and it's present in ours as well. The person bound in religion is convinced that freedom will be achieved by outwardly performing religious duties and acts of service. If I just serve X amount of times, then maybe God will notice me and approve of me. If I show up and spend time with God every single day this week, then I will finally be able to, be, to receive God's love. This is the performative Christian. If I just pray the right prayer, sing the right song. The issue with religion 
and why it does not work and why it is actually an enemy to the kingdom of God is that it is motivated by the fear of judgment. And the kingdom is motivated by love. Religion rejects the basic nature of God as a loving father who wants to connect with his children. A liberated, a free son or daughter who knows that God is a loving father serves him because in serving him, they get to spend time with him. They get alone in the secret place of prayer because it is their greatest joy and delight. They pray and they sing to God, not as an act of personal, um, uh, not as a, uh, like a transactional duty, but out of personal intimate engagement. Okay. What we see here, both those in the world and those in religion greatly misunderstand the nature of the kingdom of God and God's character. So the problem in both places, you ready for it? The heart. That's the problem. So we must ask the question, what does it mean to be free? Guys, I am not that smart of a guy. I know you guys are tracking with me. This is not rocket science. This is simple gospel. Somebody say, I need a new heart. That's what I'm talking about. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I want us to see the parallel here between death and being united with Jesus. The English verb there to baptize is not a translation of the Greek, Greek baptizain, but a transliteration. What this text immediately causes us to do is think that this is the ritual of baptism that makes us one with God. But this is not the case. This is not what Paul is getting at here. He is not saying that when you go under the water in baptism, you are united with his death. That is a beautiful picture of it. And it's, and it's a command that we ought to do it. But he's getting at something much deeper here. In Hellenistic Greek, which is the common language of this church that he's writing to, the verb used here commonly means to immerse, to plunge, or to dip into a substance. The idea here is that your life and my life are immersed into the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We are then able to participate in his resurrection. His death becomes our death and his life becomes our life. How many of you guys know what kind of car I drive? I drive a beater. I drive a beater truck. I like to think of an old heart like a beater truck. Um, your, your old heart doesn't need an oil change or some new windshield wipers. We're not, we're not pat, right? God doesn't want to like bandage us up. You need a new car. I need a new car. 
Amen. And this, right, this is the beauty of the gospel that you and I get to, you, got, you and I get to become the dwelling place of God. You're significant this morning. You really matter. I want us to catch the weight of how much our lives matter. Chicago needs people that are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What transforms a city, what transforms a family, what transforms us is the presence of the Lord being connected to him. And then you and I, as agents that have been given the Holy Spirit, are then sent, right? Jesus in John 20, what does he say? As the Father has sent me, so do I send you. We, like, we believe in prayer at this church. We believe in hosting the presence of God here in this place. But you, as an individual, are called to take it with you because you are that temple. He is not in a box anymore. He's not in a temple. He's in you. And when we catch that, when that grips us, it sends us on mission and we realize that we now become people that change atmospheres. When you walk into a dark situation, you carry the presence of God. Okay. Amen. It's good news. How does this happen? being united to Jesus, you bind yourself to him. You bind yourself to Jesus, to the word of God made manifest in flesh and blood, full of grace and truth. You walk up to the cross and you get on with him. And you give and you entrust yourself completely to this man, his teaching and his abiding presence in you. And he will set you free. He gives you a new heart. So what does that look like practically, right? What does that look like? This is, this is, this is, this is what it looks like practically. Do we have, yeah, awesome. Oh, I love it. Jesus sets you free from the destructive cycles that were both created and retained when you had a corrupted heart. So here's some things, right? This can serve as a mirror for us this morning. It surely did for me as I was writing it down. Jesus will set you free from blatant disobedience to the word of God. He will set you free from lying. He will set you free from cheating. He will set you free from distortion. He will set you free from gossip. He will set you free from slander and demeaning others with your words. He will set you free from the impulse to perform and present a version of yourself that is not true. He will set you free from sexual brokenness. He will set you free from mental confusion. 
He will set you free from anxiety. He will set you free from depression. He will release you from the weight of walking into a room and being crushed about the potential of somebody not thinking well of you. He will release you from the self-obsession that causes us to walk into a room and only think about what I feel and what I want. He will release us and free us from the need to be approved by others. He will, he will set us free from needing a substance to operate and live. This is, this is who he is. This is what he does. And how does he do it? He connects you to the presence of God. And this is not a one-time event. In fact, this is not an event at all. This is a paradigm shift. Right? Because freedom with a new heart is a lived reality every day. So then we must ask, okay, if, if freedom happens through uniting ourselves to God, being filled with the presence of the Lord through, his, through uniting ourselves to him, how does one stay free or grow in freedom? Right? Because that's probably, like, like, I believe I'm talking to a room full of Christians here. Majority. So that's like the big question, right? If this is possible, how does that happen? The way that you stay free and grow in freedom is the same way you got free. Because you can have a brand new heart, but have an entire life full of thoughts, feelings, emotions, and habits that were formed with a dead heart. Are, you, are, we, are, we, are we tracking there, right? So then the question becomes, how do I grow into the person that I already am? We need to hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? You now have the freedom to choose what you obey because you're not, you're not in bondage. <laughs> this is good news. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. That's, that's crucial to the teaching that you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What distinguishes slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness is that one, the motivation of that slavery, and two, the fruit that it produces. The motivation of slavery to sin is fear. The motivation of slavery to righteousness is love that produces eternal life and growth in God's kingdom because of the one who first loved you. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the love of God that motivates us, that beholds that man and his great love for us and says, I'll go on the cross with you. You're worth everything. Paul says that the tangible sign of this is that you become obedient in your mind and in your body from that place, from the heart. 
This is what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is what it means to grow with God and become people that are wholly sanctified unto God, a kingdom of priests. This is really important, though, for us to see the thrust of the Apostle Paul's command here because it demonstrates the weighty responsibility that you and I have in growing in our freedom. How many know you have a responsibility to play here? You have a responsibility. And I'd like to, I'd like to present to you this morning that you have a pretty large responsibility. God is in the business of setting people free. He's in the business of keeping them free. But he's not in the business of controlling us or making us do things we don't want to do. In a gathering as big as this, there are hundreds of ways in which the Holy Spirit right now is probably taking this word and applying it to your life. And so what I want to do right now is invite all of us to come and connect with him. The greatest gift of the new covenant is that you have access to the presence of God. The same one that sets people free. He's in the room this morning. And we're, gonna, we're just going to create a space of, of responding to God in worship because of this great invitation that he's given us, that you and I can be people that live in freedom every single day. And it's freedom that comes from being connected to the presence of God. It's freedom that isn't that cheeseburger, but it's being strong and healthy in God. It's being able to walk into an environment and change an atmosphere because of the one that you hold inside of your heart. It's being released from the fear and the anxiousness of being focused on us all the time. And it's God lifting our eyes to the field where a harvest is waiting for us. And so I wanna pray and go after two things this morning. Maybe this is the first time you're in this room and this is the first time that you ever realized that the freedom that you were living in wasn't actually freedom. And you sense that God through his word is speaking to your heart and inviting you to give, to inviting you to receive a new heart. He's giving you an invitation to respond to love this morning. Maybe you are here and you're so conflicted internally because you do have a new heart, but you've just been getting dragged down by the entire lifetime of habits and emotions and thoughts that you had when you didn't have a new heart. God wants to meet you today. And by the power of his presence, he wants to bring you into a greater place of freedom. 